Um, what we want to talk about bringing freedom to our cities. Um, when the guys asked me to speak um, and they said the theme was freedom, um, you know, for us, we, we and, and I guess I don't want to, I don't want to put like a, I guess my heart is just that we, I, I've got such a passion to see more than our churches renewed. I, I, I feel that we, we can get stuck at this place of renewal for our churches. And the thing is, as we renew, we wanna see our churches renewed so they're released into our cities because we wanna see our cities renewed so they can be released into their destiny. Do you see that? Okay, because what, we, what our dream is not, our dream is not that our churches are filled with people. Our dream is that our cities are filled with hope. Now, our churches may be filled with people in the pursuit of that dream. However, the end goal of the gospel is not filled churches. It is cities filled with hope, cities filled with salvation, cities filled with the fullness of the redemption, restoration story of Jesus Christ. And you know the Bible starts in a garden and it ends in a city. And that is something that strikes me again and again and again. And I, you know, well, we've just finished up a series on the book of Acts. And one of the things that, uh, again, just I find so remarkable is what you see there um, around that shift around Acts 12 or so, when the movement begins to break out of a kind of a Jewish-centric movement, and it begins to break outwards out there, is that it becomes the story of city after city being transformed. And we see personal transformations in those moments. So if you are up for it, what we're going to do is we're going to try to take an hour. I got some buddies. I got some of my fellow folks here from Causeway Coast who help make the, make the hits over there. And then we're going we're gonna to tell some stories. We're going to see what happens. We may have questions. Everything could happen. We're going to have ministry maybe. I don't know. We may take an offering. All right. I, I, I'm pretty tired. I've, I've been doing my other job playing guitar here too. So anything could happen. If you're up for that, is that good? This is a table for water, not for a thing, because it's so low that I'm literally, I'm going to find, I'm going to do this. Are, do, oh, okay. Good afternoon. I have a word for you today. No, okay. Um, I do, I think I do have a word for you. Um, let, me, let me just ask you these questions first off, friends, okay? Um, do you want freedom for your city? And I don't mean do we want to resource our churches from our cities. Do we want freedom for our city? Um, I don't mean do we want to see our churches successful in a city. I, I mean, do we truly want freedom for our cities? Um, because if the people of Jesus are who they're called to be, then what we are doing is we are rewriting the story of destiny over cities. We, we are not built to just rewrite the story of destiny over individual human lives. We are built to rewrite and disciple nations because that was the call that Jesus left us with. So just quickly, if we could look at that from Matthew 28, um, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came to them and said, and actually, let me just, let me pull that scripture up because it, the context of it is so crazy. And um, here we go. Ooh, I'm on the iPad today. I know the Bible comes in a book form as well, but here we go. Um, the end of chapter 28, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And verse 17 always catches my heart. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And, it, it, and, you know, that, that's like the, the most unassuming introduction to the Great Commission of the world, isn't it? When they saw him, they worshiped him. Now the Great Commission. But instead, I mean, and always when you're reading the Bible, instead of just going what happened, you have to go, why did they include that that happened, right? Because that's the power that helps us get the context for the word there. They worshiped him, but some doubted. And in the midst of that, then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, that great commission is something that, you know, if you're a Christian uh, at all in any sort of um, evangelical kind of context, you've probably heard that before. You've probably thought about it before. Um, everyone's familiar with the Great Commission, am I correct? Okay, and what we do though sometimes, let me just find my, sorry, this is, the iPad's supposed to make your life easier, isn't it? My life is getting harder. It was much better when I had 10 pieces of paper that were out of order. Sorry, <laughs> this part is fun, isn't it? 
Did someone just drift off to sleep there? I promise I, I have it here. Here we go. Okay. So this, this passage here, go and make disciples of all nations. The, the Greek there is panta ta, you know, panta ta ethne, which means all peoples, all languages. Gentiles, uh, it, it's, it's sometimes that word there is, is translated all nations, including Gentiles. And, and again, what, what's happening there is Jesus is saying, you're called to go and make disciples of all nations. What we often do is we translate that go and make disciples of all nations into an individual sort of pursuit. You see that? So we, we, we hear go and make disciples of all nations and we hear go and make disciples of individuals. And it's instead of it being the great commission, it becomes the great reduction. You know what I'm saying? Because see, we are actually designed to be people who write destiny over nations. Now what we do is we try to break it down into something that we can handle, right? Because we, we can understand and we can handle the concept of discipling one other person. I mean, before you were a Christian, you were discipling people. You realize that, right? Because the, the act of discipleship is shaping someone into something that you carry. So you could be a discipler um, just because, you know, you, you, you know, I don't know, you could be that kid at school who wore the cool shirt first and then everyone else starts wearing the cool shirt and you've discipled a small cadre of people, right? But when, when it becomes powerful is when we actually begin to shape people into their calling, into their destiny, and into their release, into who they're designed and determined to be by God, and we release them into their freedom. But the problem is, is that we sometimes take this idea of discipling nations, this nation formation, and it's so big and it's so huge for us to grasp that it's easier for us to reduce it down, and then we focus on discipling a few. And I'm not taking away from the importance of us discipling others around us. It's just that I want you to understand that within you, Jesus' belief in you is that you can disciple nations. And our starting point in many ways is we need to ask ourselves, how are we shaping and discipling cities and nations? So you remember when Jesus called the 12, we know that Jesus chose the 12. And these numbers in the Bible are important. And Jesus chose the 12 because it did represent the 12 tribes of Israel. But you know, later, um, you know the story when he calls the 70 or the 72, depending on which translation you're going from, okay? At that stage, for the early Jewish mind, there were 70 nations in the world. All, the world was made up of 70 nations in total, or 72 nations. And what Jesus did was he chose 72 people because in his heart, his mind, that's enough to transform the whole of the world. Do you see that? So see, when we begin to recognize the calling on our lives for discipleship, we mustn't reduce it to, I hope that in my life I make 10 people who follow Jesus. Now that is a noble goal. And please, I'm not taking away from personal discipleship or the importance of that. I'm just saying that we need to rise our eyes and our horizons to the dream of God's heart for the discipleship of nations. And I think that probably in some ways we're probably a little bit um, frightened maybe of the kind of national kind of how do, we, how, do we, you know, how do we disciple a nation. And so we've probably been looking a lot at the kind of city formation thing. And what we do is we, we often take the missional and we try to make it manageable. You know what I mean? So we take what can be missional and we try to make it manageable. So, okay, we can't reshape all of the nation's future. So what we'll do is we'll try to reshape a small part of it. But it's sometimes what we end up doing in fact, trying to make it manageable, we actually make it unmanageable because we reduce it down to something we can do within our own strength and within our own power. And then we do fairly well at that. And then we wash, dry, rinse, repeat. You follow me? If we truly want to see our cities come into freedom, our ideas, our strategies, our best sort of production, our best sort of church growth strategies, all the best books and all the things, we need something so much more profound from the Holy Spirit to, to rise within us and then to, to come out of our lives for us to actually shape the destiny and the future of our cities. But part of that is actually realizing where our eyes need to be set. Cities are made up of people, absolutely. But if we don't actually begin to dream above from that bigger picture, we'll always settle for a few that we see coming on a little bit more rather than for the dream that in our lifetimes, our cities might be transformed and their stories rewritten and new destiny placed into the history books because we were the people of Jesus alive in those days. Do you hear me? We don't wanna spend our lives focusing on the perfection of individuals rather than the alteration of entire cities. Um, you know, how many times have you heard this? And I, I hope I'm not stepping on your toes. 
But, you know, if I am, it's okay. I live way up on the north coast of Northern Ireland. I'm probably going to get deported after Brexit, so it'll be fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not completely true. I don't know. It may be true. None of us knows what's going to happen. So anyway, how many of you heard this sort of thing where, like, you run something and it took a huge amount of effort or whatever, and everyone poured their hearts out, and, and like, maybe 10 people showed up, and everyone was like, ugh. And there's someone, and well-meaning goes, well, if one person was touched, it's all worth it. Now, there's a beautiful sentiment there, but here's what I want to say, okay? What have we been saved and revived for? If not to see a new destiny, a new redemption story rewritten over our history, over our time and our city, our nation at this time, then what are we still here for, right? When we talk about saving souls, I always ask, after we've saved all the souls, what are we going to do with the bodies, right? You understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm just asking, why have we been redeemed? Obviously, there's this incredible, the, the beauty of it is that we have been reconnected with our creator. But then this thing that erupts within us is that we have this wonderful privilege of reconnecting our world around us to, the, their, to, to every daughter reconnected to their father, every son reconnected to his father. And cities are sons and daughters waiting for reconnection, waiting for a new story of hope to be written over them. And that's why we mustn't settle to try that. This saturation one-by-one one model is problematic because what it does is it makes us go into more of an introspective model rather than an expansion model. You know what I mean? Discipleship, like if we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one discipleship, that kind of thing, and again, please hear me, I'm not knocking one-on-one -on -one discipleship. It's just that it is often a slightly more introspective model. Do you hear me? Would you agree with me? Because anyone been involved in discipleship in here? People are like, well, I was, but I'm not now. You've made it sound so terrible. <laughs> but see, the saturation model, what it does sometimes is, is it, it, it grows so introspective that we, 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 we get all this content and we lose the context of the content, you know. And what we can do is we can kind of embrace this idea that it's really difficult to alter a city. So what we do is we focus on one person and we struggle there. But look at this. Jesus' model was to take 12 people and go and bring change from city to city to city. And then when the Holy Spirit came on those sort of slightly bewildered people waiting, you know, I mean, asking Jesus just before he sends into heaven, is this the time you're gonna restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this the time you're going to rewrite stories so it's about us? And Jesus is like, no, it's better that I go, right? And then when the Holy Spirit comes, what happens is something that's so profound that then later it says, that part of the book of Acts where it says, these men who have been turning the world upside down have now come here. And I ask myself every day, is that the question that's being asked about me? Is that the statement that's being asked about me in the city of Coleraine, which is where I live, the greatest city in the world? Not actually a city yet, just a town, but it will be. <laughs> if I have to go see the queen myself, ma'am, can you just sign? I know we need a cathedral. Our church is pretty big. <laughs> we'll call it Causeway Coast Vineyard Cathedral if you like. But I dream every day of Coleraine being proclaimed a city, partly because in that dream for me is this idea that what we can actually do is we can participate in the hope of Christ that history can be written in our day and that we are not simply managing our time. When John said that we're man we, we can spend these years managing the decline, of the, I, 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 just, I, I just was like, everything in me just went, you know? But something deeper rose within me that says, no, in my time, we're actually going to be the people who they say, these people who have turned the world upside down and are turning the world upside down have now come here. And the story of our city is actually that we can actually walk in that kingdom mindset where we actually recognize that the world is actually upside down and we're making it right side up. Rewriting the story. Rewriting the story. You know the passage in 1 Corinthians 15, um, Paul actually talks about it where he says, he will reign until his enemies are his footstool. And you know that passage? Does that sound familiar? Book Corinthians, people know about that book? Paul, he wrote it to these guys in Corinth. Okay, sorry, <laughs> I am tired. He will reign until his enemies are his footstools. It's not that Jesus makes his enemies his footstools and then he reigns. 
He reigns until his enemies are his footstool. And the way that I see that is that we don't wait until our cities turn to Jesus and then we say, now here's what the city should look like. We say, here's what the city looks like until the city looks like Jesus is the Lord of the city. We reign in our cities. And again, I know, man, I know we're like all white Westerners in here. So when we hear reign, we start thinking, I'm going to get a crown. I'm going to lord it over everybody. But that is not what this means. It's about putting things into their right place. And I know, can you look at your city right now? Can you say that everything is in its right place in your city or your town or your village? Or are things upside down from God's heart and God's dream and God's purposes? Let me tell you the things that we see in our city. We see sectarian conflict that doesn't make the news anymore but continues to go on. There's probably at least one punishment beating or so a week. Is that about right, Dave? Somewhere in there. And sadly, sometimes the young people that we deal with will find out, got their kneecaps done or whatever. That is not God's dream. It's an upside down, it needs to be made right side up. And we can either wait till that's made right and act like that's when we step in, or we can reign as the people, who are, the people of Jesus who bring destinies to cities until punishment beatings cease. Women are inordinately abused where we live on the North Coast of Northern Ireland. Spousal abuse is overly high, and sexual trafficking is at a, it's a, it's a disproportionately high level. We can either say we are the people who have a responsibility to make that right side up, or we can wait and hope that one day it will be right side up and then there'll be a good environment for us to grow a bigger church. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, we are the people. We don't wait until the city bows and then we rule. We rule until the city bows. And again, hear my language on that. I'm using the biblical language there, but the intention of that is not that we lord it over because he came, he, he, he came to serve. So if there's a way that I could put it, and um, Alan used to say it this way so well, we want to wash the feet of our city. Any dream of seeing our city released into freedom begins with us saying, where does my city need its feet washed? Where does it need its brokenness healed? Where does it need its needs met? And any journey of seeing a city transformed into God's dream begins with a journey of listening and observing and hearing from the Holy Spirit. It always begins in that place. It begins in the place where we recognize that we, again, we were seeing so many young people either self-harming or we, or, and we do. In Northern Ireland, the, the proportion of young people who commit suicide is higher than all of the rest of the UK. So I know that there's a, there's a, a principality of death that stands against cities, particularly Northern Ireland. And we know in Coleraine, it's something that comes against us. So we then must go, how do we, the people who have dominion, because we are ruling and reigning with Jesus now, according to the scriptures, how do we then stand against that and write a new story of life where death was the story before? You follow me? Okay, good. All right, let's move on. We're gonna get some stories here in a second. Okay. The second thing we want to have to do is we, when, we, when we start thinking about how we're going to set our cities free and how we're going to walk our cities into freedom. And again, I... I just, uh, I, I, we were talking about it yesterday. Um, I just see that image of Jesus walking and talking and going from city to city. And we have an emphasis often on gathering and praying and those, those electrifying moments. And listen, I love those. Like last night for me was, I hadn't got to play guitar like that in a long time, you know? And man, the presence in the room was unbelievable. But if, it, if something doesn't happen outside of here, then it is sound and fury, friends. Hear my heart on that. I long for those moments of that presence and that connection. But somewhere that has to break out of these places and become presence in our streets. Somewhere it has to become that place where people can, it becomes the undeniable that something is changing in our city and people no longer, we're not out there trying to convince them. We're actually trying to manage how do we deal with them. One of the number one questions I ask the church that I help lead is this, what will we do if God actually answers our prayers for a move? We've already seen, we, we're seeing some, I mean, we'll try to tell some stories. We're seeing God has, Jesus has been so gracious to us there in the North Coast. We have seen God do extraordinary things and we sometimes can barely manage that. What if we have a move of God like they had 159 years ago? What in heaven's name we do? People moan about parking now, what are they gonna do? <laughs> do, you, do you hear my heart? Do you hear my heart? Do you hear my heart? 
If we wanna dream dangerous dreams, then you'd be prepared to leave dangerous lives because the implications of Jesus answering our prayers could be that nothing is ever the same again. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the same thing all over again, just with slightly louder music. Do you hear me? Yes, yes. And we are a movement, a renewal movement, but we are a restoration people who have a unique calling in these days. We're not the only way. We're not the rightest way. We're just this, this is just the family we're in. And in this tribe and in this family, let it be known that what we wanna see is our cities rewritten to stories of hope. I, the, 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 um, the video last night just took me down over and over and over. Just the story of hope that the, how about the interview from that counselor? You know, the guy with the glasses, you know, they did the long, slow walk to the camera. Y'all saw that part, didn't you? Yeah. I was like, wow, how did they get that really posh guy to join the team? And then I realized he was a counselor. So it was cool. I was like, all right, we're, we're still us. Okay, so part of it is this idea of that we, we need to come to this with a kingdom mindset, okay? So I, what I do is I often, I, there, there's this kind of understanding when, when we hear the word kingdom, we often interpret kingdom from a very medieval idea of like a fortress or a kind of a stronghold, that kind of thing, rather than the way that Jesus often talked about the kingdom. And I just wanna read you this from Matthew 13, verse 31 through 33. This is a lovely one. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the plants and it becomes a tree so that all the birds can come and perch in its branches. And man, I just live in that parable over and over when I pray for Colerain because I look at us and, and, you know, and people, you know, and I have to say, you know, in, 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 our, in our town, we statistically, we connect with about one in eight people in our area. That's about right, isn't it guys? I'm real bad with numbers. We connect with somewhere between one to one and one to a million of everyone in our town, okay? I think it's about one and eight, all right? So we have a pretty wide reach, but we're about, say, 2,000 people, and we're in a place that's just the Coleraine area is 56,000 people. So we are a drop in that bucket, aren't we? And in those moments, what you can do is we can get, we can either see ourselves way too big, and we can go, man, look at this. We got 2,000 people rolling up in here. Man, when you play on a Sunday morning, it's like playing in an arena, you know? Or we can think of ourselves too small. And we can go, there's only 2,000 of us. Even with all of our combined efforts, how will we ever shape this city? And then I start thinking about this mustard seed parable again and again. It is the smallest of the seeds, but when it's planted, it grows up into this bush, it says. In one translation, a bush. And then it says, and in that bush, all the birds can take shelter. And that is the dream that is the heart of what we are. We're planted in these places. I think about that little number 10 group. There's not that many, you know, and they were like, there's 25 of us, you know? And, and, and you think 25 people against all that, but that is the mustard seed that gets planted. And then when it grows, when, when we allow this kingdom mindset to permeate us and we go, look, this is what we are. We're this tiny thing that gets planted, but we are not tiny on the inside. We, we got like big God for little people, you know, big dreams for little people. And when it grows, it sprouts out of this thing that all the birds can take shelter of. Because see, when Jesus brings blessing to our cities and freedom to our cities, he doesn't just bless those who are already following him. He brings blessing to all. And I tell you, if there's one thing I dream for us as a, as a community of Jesus, as one of the communities of Jesus in Coleraine, is that what God is doing within us brings blessing to all who live within our reach. I want everyone blessed, even the people who disagree with us, because blessing only comes from God. And what we're doing is we're bringing his goodness into their lives. And it is through his love and his kindness that he woos us. And that is how people begin to have their face turned towards truth. It isn't necessarily with better music and better preaching. In fact, it's often not, I should say. Although I think we should have better music and better preaching too. But that's my other seminar, um, which they didn't let me do. Okay. <laughs> That's not true. I'm sorry. I'm being too crazy this afternoon. He told them still another parable, verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. And I, it's just that I want you to hear your identity, okay? And this identity here, let me just make this clear. This is the leaders conference, right? So y'all are all leaders, right? Yes? Okay, because I was, I mean, was going to do this real dramatic thing where I was like, even if you're not, you are because you follow Jesus. Makes you a leader, all right? But we'll, we won't do that. That way we'll have time for more stories. All right. The point is, is this. Clearly, you know that. But here's the thing. 
If you don't understand that identity, how will you ever get the people that you're leading to understand their identity, that they are like that yeast? And when you think about 60 pounds of flour, that is a, that's a big loaf of bread. I'm not a bread maker, but 60 pounds sounds excessive, right? Anybody make bread in here? Anyone? Loads of people. <laughs> Loads of men. Look at men. You guys are like, you guys are like, we're bakers. Okay. I mean, how, does a pound of flour, how much is, what kind of, how big of a loaf does that make? They make two, <laughs> make a loaf, makes two loaves, fool. A bit like that big. There's a man in the back going like this. All right, 60 pounds, right? Okay, so when, if you have a, if you're making a big giant loaf like this, how, you, would you put, how much yeast do you have to put in? Well, I, I don't know what he said, but I'm gonna say, I think he said, just a wee bit. <laughs> you just take a wee bit. I tell you what you do, Father, a wee bit of it. All right, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay. It's just this wee bit of yeast. But the, the, the thing is, is that the potency of the yeast then works its way through the dough. And here's the question we've got to ask ourselves in this. Do we have that kingdom identity on ourselves that we recognize the potency of what we're carrying? If we don't recognize our identity, then what we'll always do is we'll settle for seeing a few people follow Jesus slightly better. And people maybe stop looking at porn at church. Well, not at church, but you know what I mean, your church members. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm, I'm just saying that what are we settling for? Are we settling? I want every one of my church members, I want, we don't have members, people who come to my church, I want everyone who comes to my church to, to be freed from porn. But I don't want that to be the, the goal that we live for. I want my city set free and I want history rewritten, right? So see, when we, get, when we grasp our identity, then we recognize that we are that potent yeast. That just the bit of it mixed in begins to work its way through the dough. But if we don't recognize that, what we'll do is we will settle for a little bit of moral behavior fixing and we will call it a renewal or a move of God. And our cities will continue, continue to cycle downwards. But Jesus' heart, and, and, and I tell you, the book of Acts, for me, just this city after city and story after story of cities being shaken by the power of God. Paul is in Ephesus for three years and it ends up in a riot. I've been in Colerain for 12. I, I got in like one big street argument. I haven't had a riot at all. And the street argument was because I was driving bad. So that was a whole different thing, right? <laughs> but do you follow what I'm saying? Like, where is that? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Is what I'm saying to myself every day. Right? I want to see the city shaken. And I don't mean shaken in fear. I mean shaken with hope. I want to watch those people who are making enough money to just keep working, wake up in the morning and something comes alive with them that says, I am alive because I am part of a bigger story of hope and I am loved and I have been bought with a price. And that, that goes into every area of my life. I raise my children differently. We educate differently. We own this city differently. We don't look to the city to provide to us. We look to what we provide to the city. And it can't be a church dream. It's a God dream and it's a city dream. And when it becomes city dreams, then it becomes nation dreams. And then our nation's course becomes a different story again. The way that the gospel spread throughout Asia Minor in the course of a single generation. Do you ever think about how crazy that is? that the gospel went that far, that quickly with people who did not have iPhones and could not get on planes, had donkeys and wrote letters. They understood something that we are, are grasping at, I fear sometimes, and it's a kingdom identity. Let me say this, I felt this for you. The power of the yeast, the power of the mustard seed is the power of the small, but the anointed and called. The power of the small, anointed and called with authority. See, even today, you may, you may go, oh, I, I just can't come up with one more strategy. And I, I just would say to you, good, enough strategies. Walk into your identity, embrace the authority, and the strategies fall, fall out of you. And, and it's not about strategy anymore, it's about Jesus, and it's about reshaping every single piece of our story. Time. Woo! Okay. All right. Let's talk about. Let's talk a few other things. Okay. Um, I want to talk about scale. Okay. Um, when you begin to dream city-sized dreams, scale it. The beautiful thing about transformation is that it can always scale up. 
You know, it, it, that's the beautiful thing. So for us, when we begin to recognize that our city was in need and that we were facing in the aftermath of the economic crisis, Coleraine took a real nosedive. And we recognized that for the first time, people were actually hungry in our city. We simply went, what can we do? Now, at that stage, now, I mean, we run a, 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 we have an incredible compassion ministry now. We started the first food bank in Northern Ireland. We're the second largest social services provider on the North Coast. Is that right, Dave? That is right. I keep looking at Dave for fact checking. Yeah, Dave, Dave's like, if you say it, it must be true. <laughs> okay, but the way that that stuff started was it started with us doing that kind of Moses question, you know? What do the people need? What's in our hand? Right? Because, you know, it's like the Egypt question, right? They're in slavery in Egypt. What do people need? People need to be free. What's in my hand? Well, I got this stick, right? And so what we did is we went, well, we got this little room where we meet for worship. I mean, we were meeting in a, a place called Dunn's. It's an abandoned, abandoned department store, really, wasn't it? It was done. Yeah, it was a prophetic name. Um, we love that place, though, man. Incredible. Um, it rains in Ireland, y'all may have heard. Um, and it leaked when it rained. So it's pretty much every Sunday. Um, people could get baptized just by sitting in the right seat. Um, <laughs> if someone was getting a, a particularly potent drip, I would just be like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, boom. And then I'd say, well, we'll dunk you fully later because I may be Irish now, but I started Baptist. All right. Um, we just began to go, what does our city need? We had a tiny little room off the side. We used to meet and pray before we led worship or led the meetings. And we were like, hey, I bet we could all collect food. So we started just collecting food. And we didn't have a plan. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't, we didn't know that you should probably do that legally or get health and safety or any of that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that you should do anything without those things. Please do all the legal, proper, right things. But however, we did this. And that first Sunday, three people showed up. And what we did is we just said, look, if you need food, come by after church. You don't have to listen to a sermon. You have to do a thing. Just come by. And it was a crazy idea. We didn't think it was going to work. We just thought we got to do something. What we can't do is nothing. So we took what was in our hands. And that grew the first week. I think it was about three or four. Next week, it's about six or eight. Before long, we were serving a meal and handing out food. And then I can remember these guys called CAP, called us, Christians Against Poverty. And they, they had heard of me and so they asked for a meeting with me and Ricky Wright, our compassion director, went along with me and they laid out this incredible idea about fighting poverty by helping people in debt. And they told us these stories and we, Ricky and I were mesmerized. We were mesmerized by the story. And then they told us what it would cost and what staffing it would take. And, and I just, everything within me sunk because I was like, mate, we, we can't even afford to like buy tea and coffee for services right now, you know what I'm saying? But something within me went, we can't scale this now, but we will. We must. We can't not do it. Do you understand? And a few years later, we started, that, we started the journey, I think, a year later. And then I think within three years, we were the number one cap center in the UK. Now, I don't tell you that to go, we really did a good job. I want to tell you this is that scale is important. Many of you right now may be in places where you go, we can't do all these things. And I would say to you, find the thing you can do and begin doing it and let it scale. Let it scale. We made terrible mistakes. We weren't sure what we were doing at all. But here's the thing. God's presence is with those who take action in these moments. His heart is so for the broken. His heart is so for the poor that when we turn our attention in any way to serve the needs of our city, God's presence and his power comes into it in a way. I could have never, maybe in my wildest dreams, but I could never have imagined the scale of what we do on the compassion front now. And I tell you, if you'd asked me 10 years ago when this was all kind of kicking off, if you'd asked me to plan it out, I wouldn't have been able to plan it out. It was far beyond my capability. And to be honest, it's probably still beyond our capability, but I tell you whose capability it is not beyond, and that is the Lord Jesus. Because what he was waiting for is useful people who were just willing to be obedient. Does that make sense? We did not have the skills. I'm not sure we have all the skills now. Ricky does, but not the rest of us. But, but what we did have is we had availability and we were willing to be obedient. So with scale, if you want to see your city set into freedom, begin with something. And I'd urge you even now to begin, begin with something now. Take something practical that you can do. If it's as simple as, and I don't want to overstate this, but I just, there's something so profound about love God and love others as you love yourself in terms of really rooting our faith, you know? Love God and love your neighbor. And even just that 
wonderful concept of do you know your actual neighbors on your street? Even if you just begin there, even if you just get to know the neighbors on your street and begin to get involved in their lives and begin to see what their needs are, what you'll do is God will give you a passion for your street. And when you get a passion for your street and start to see Jesus move there, what it turns into is a passion for other streets. And that turns into a passion for a town or a city really quickly. And when you start getting fired up about the ability that God has put within you and your identity to write hope and destiny over cities, then what happens is we start thinking about how we've changed the course of a nation in our lifetimes. Okay. All right, we're out of time, and I want, to, I want my friends to tell some stories because they're awesome. The supernatural. Um, now, I grew up Baptist. Um, that's not a confession. It's just a statement of fact. Um, and I grew up uh, with wonderful, wonderful theology. My dad is an incredible, extraordinary pastor and preacher, and I love him. And um, I had a wonderful upbringing and that kind of thing. But we, we believed in miracles, but not really. You know what I mean? So we, we, would, we would have prayer for healing, but we didn't really expect that anyone to be healed, you know? And then, um, you know, it's a little bit like there's a wonderful story. I was in YWAM for, for many years. There's a wonderful story about a girl on her outreach in YWAM and they, in a village. And the guy comes up with a, a you know, a twisted arm. And, they, and she is, the, the guy, you know, the village elder says, you must pray for him. And she's like, I could tell him the gospel. <laughs> and she's like, pray for him to be healed. And she's like, oh, look, close her eyes. Oh, Lord, please heal this man. And his arm just goes, Phew. And she opens her eyes and passes out, you know? So... <laughs> And then they're, they're all like praying for her. Lord, raise her. <laughs> but I, that was probably my sort of thing. But I, what, what, I, what I would say to you is this, is that um, without the, the, the presence of the supernatural and the move of the Holy Spirit, it's very difficult to, to rewrite the story of a city because we need something greater than strategy. We need something that is intangible, something that is a power that we don't carry within ourselves and that we are at the mercy of. Does that make sense? Because we place ourselves under his hand in that ray when we operate in the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that I've learned in my life is that we don't see miracles often because we don't truly need miracles, you know? Until we've stepped down into that place of risk, abandon and obedience, we often don't see the miracles that come in those moments. Does that make sense? And let me tell you something, if you wanna see your city set into freedom, it's going to take something of the miraculous. And I don't just mean the typical miraculous. It may be healings. It may be that. But I just mean something of the supernatural that happens. Um, the, those moments when, um, when you begin to, when, you know, when, you're, when you're out doing your shopping and the, the, the supernatural and, and the Holy Spirit is so present in the city and God's at work there and you're paying for your shopping and you suddenly say, listen, I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but when you were 14, did something happen to you? You know, and, and the, the girl behind the counter just goes, whoa! You know, and then, you know, there, we had an incredible story of one of our girls on our ESOM course stopping into a shop to buy a T-shirt and um, started, you know, had a word for the girl at the till. And that girl broke into tears, came to faith, and then they went to the back room because she was so overwhelmed. So they sent another girl out. And she went, why is that girl crying? And she went, well, I'll tell you. And she's like trying to pay for her shirt. And then she's like, tells her, and the girl's like, ah! And comes to faith as well. The supervisor comes over. What's going on over here? She starts to tell her. The supervisor's like, pray for me too. Wah! And she's like, could I just pay and go? But, you know, it's like it, without the supernatural, without that sort of thing, what we do is we're striving in that kind of place where we're like, please, please, please believe these things. We're trying to convince something that actually happens in the place of supernatural. Mark. This is Mark Marks, my hero, my friend, my brother, a saint. Um, come, come tell a quick story. Just tell, tell me one, tell us whatever. Tell me one good city supernatural story. Um, thanks, Trey. Hard to tell one quick story. We have uh, to because they're going to kick us out okay, of here. Okay, okay. Um, uh, I, I won't tell you a story about Coleraine. Coleraine is, is full of the presence of God. So many amazing things are happening there. But, um, you know, I, I have the privilege of pioneering a ministry called Healing on the Streets. And basically, that if you saw it, it was a banner that says healing. We lay some chairs out. We invite people to come and take a seat. We pray for them. We show them the, the love of Jesus. We kneel to pray. It's like washing the feet of our community. But it's more, Healing on the Streets is more than just about seeing a few people come and sit on the chair to see them healed, which we see all the time, to see them come to faith, to receive Jesus, which we love every time that happens. But it's about influencing and affecting the city. It's about changing the status quo, whatever the lie is over our towns, our cities. It's about changing it and bringing God's kingdom to that place. And Jesus is after more than just seeing a few people come to faith and a few people healed. Mm. He's after 
the city. He's after the nation. Mm. And um, just, just last year, I was in uh, Stockholm, launching Healing on the Streets there. Just I'll be, as, I'll be as quick as I can. It's an amazing story. But um, we, we went to this area of Stockholm called, called Usby, and it's renowned to, to be quite a dangerous area. It's predominantly Muslim. Uh, at night time, it's run by drug dealers. Uh, we had to, the night before, um, we had to meet with the police and the community leaders to tell them what we were doing. They looked at us as if we were crazy and just said, all the best. <laughs> Um, we arrived on Saturday morning, we arrived to set up Healing on the Streets, we put a banner up, the chairs were laid out. Uh, when we arrived there, there was an air of violence. There was a Muslim man who was arguing with some local uh, elderly Swedes who were sitting on the benches around this, this square. And it became violent and they started to fight. And uh, as we were setting up, the, this Muslim guy, I mean, he was really angry, then turned his attention to us and he started to verbally abuse some of the women on our team. They just showed him the love of Jesus. Anyway, he was really angry, he stormed off. The atmosphere, the atmosphere on that square is, was totally contrary to what we were wanting to bring. And I want to say this, without the presence of God, nothing will happen. Mm. See, the, 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 the promise of God to his people is this, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Um, Exodus 33 verse 14. We are carriers of divine presence. We are a royal priesthood. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We are the ones that can make the difference and the change as we carry his presence into the impossible place. And it just needs us to step by faith into that place and then to stand firm. We went there, we set up, you know, after this man went away, which we were grateful because, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the air of violence he was bringing, he disappeared. We, we set up, we knelt on the ground. And what we did, we began to lean into his presence. Without the presence of God, nothing will happen. And soon we began to feel his presence as, as the Holy Spirit began to flow from within us. Out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. To the one who's perishing, we are the smell of death. To the one who's being saved, we are the fragrance of life. And soon the whole area was flooded with the beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit. As Muslims were walking through the square, they were going meaning they, feel, they were feeling his presence, tangibly feeling his presence on the streets. People, all Muslims, started to come to the chair. One man came, he sat on the chair, he had an injured ankle, the Lord healed him. Beautiful. We have words of knowledge for him. He said, do you know me? We said, no, we don't. How do you know this? We, we began to tell him it was Jesus who knows everything about him. He said, tell me more. So we did. And he said, now you're scaring me. <laughs> he got up completely shot, stood to one side. Another man came, he needed an operation on his shoulder. We prayed for him. He couldn't lift his arm any higher than this. And as he moved his arm up, he began to flap his arms like a bird. He was just so amazed. And he became our most fervent evangelist, a Muslim man. He stood there, invite everyone to come. The chairs were soon filled with people coming for prayer. It was amazing. So many words of knowledge, so many people, Muslims being touched by the Spirit of God. And as we were coming to a close, uh, Matthias, who was leading this, said to me, Mark, how do you feel it went as, you know, as, as a launch for Healing on the Streets? So I said, well, Matthias, this is, this is pretty good. We've had the chairs were filled and, you know, people were coming, but they're, they're encountering Jesus, they're being healed. The Spirit of God, is, this, is, this is wonderful. You know, I think this is a really good launch. And, and we were packing away and, and uh, there was one person that we were waiting for to, to have, finished prayer and the chairs were packed away, the, the banner was packed away and the last person as they were finished prayer, we, we took the chair, we folded it up and we put it away and just as we did that, the Lord spoke to me and said, you know you pray such big prayers and you ask me for so much but, ex but settle for so little. Let me show you what's available. And a woman comes and she said, am I too late for prayer? I said, no, 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 you're not. So we, we pulled a chair out, opened it up, and she sits in it. And the team begin to pray for her. Someone else then comes, am I too late? No. Another chair opens up. And then all of a sudden, another flood of people come. And all the chairs are out. And now we're short of, of, of team members, you know, praying for folk who are coming. There was a woman in a motorized wheelchair came 
with a husband. And a husband and, and this woman were watching as people were being healed and receiving prayer. And they began to, to ask some questions. And then the man, the, the husband, came and he sat in a chair. He had a problem with his hip. The Lord heals him. I mean, he was a very proud man. Didn't show any emotion until he stood up and, and realized that Jesus had healed him. And he was in a state of shock. And he began to speak to his wife. And his wife then asked us, do I have to be prayed for many times before I'm healed? She's in this motorized wheelchair. Before we had a chance to answer, one of the Muslim friends, the Muslim evangelist said, no, you only have to be prayed for once. Come and get prayer. <laughs> so she drove her motorized wheelchair around. I'll try and be as quick as I can. She drove her motorized wheelchair around. The ladies knelt at her feet and they began to pray. She has no feeling in her feet. Her toes start to shake like this. She said, I don't do that, she said. Then her feet begin to do this. She says, I don't do that either. <laughs> and then her hands start to do this as well. She was losing feeling in her hands as well, but she says, I don't do that. And I realized that the, now the Holy Spirit is really touching this woman. Now what's needed is an act of faith. As the ladies were praying, so I went round to the front. I knelt down by her feet. I took hold of her hands. And I was going to say to her, do something with your legs you've not been able to do before. Before I could say that, one of our Muslim evangelists said to her, get up and walk. <laughs> I, that wasn't translated for me, so I didn't know what, what he had said to her, but she let go of my hands, she leant forward, pushed the footrests away, got up and began to walk towards the husband who was sitting on one of the benches across the way. As, as she walked towards across the square and her husband saw his wife walking towards her, he burst into tears. And when she turned around and came back, she said, I don't need my motorized wheelchair anymore, but I'm going to have to drive it home. <laughs> and it was just showing what is available. There's so much more available. Oh, if his presence is there, without his presence... Nothing will happen, so I could go on. It's good, man. He's, go see Mark's. Mark, you have a seminar today, don't you? You have a seminar today? Go to Mark's seminar. Uh, just the presence of Jesus has such a power. I mean, I, again, I quickly, uh, Acts, uh, it, you know, the, the story in Ephesus, um, when Paul encounters the, the seven sons of Sceva or Siva, depending on how you like to say it, um, you know, these guys who are trying to, to, to kind of do, do this sort of, you know, casting out using the name of Paul and Jesus, you know, and, the, and they're trying to cast devils, demons out of this one guy, and the demon answers them and says, I know Jesus and I know Paul, who the heck are you, you know? And then just beats them up and they run out naked and bleeding, you know? And then what I love is this, when news of this spread, the name of Jesus was held in high regard. And then the city's economy begins to change because the presence and the power of Jesus has been demonstrated in the city. And it says all those things of witchcraft were brought. And it's, I think it's 20,000 days wages were burnt because they were things of witchcraft and evil. And it begins that turn towards the whole economy of Ephesus being turned right side up from being upside down based on the sale of idols and immorality. Why? Because the power and the presence of Jesus in the city square and in the streets. We want to be moving in power in this way. And again, I just want to say, if you're not seeing miracles, step out into that risk place even more. Um, okay, let's move on really quickly. We're going to try to rapid fire because I want to make sure that you get to hear from other friends as too. When we talk about city transformation, it is across all ages. And um, I just want Dave, Dave, I want you to come up and just tell us a couple stories. We've just been watching our young people. When I say young people, I mean our kids really. And just seeing the effect they're having on the city. Dave, tell us a couple of stories. Of just Because when we talk about we want to renew our church and release our church, but that's so that we can then renew and release the city. And talk about what, how the kids are releasing the city. Absolutely, right? brilliant. Tell us and, a story. Uh, tell a so, story. So we, we probably have the same problem as you do. Uh, in our place in the education is really stretched. Okay? And so we thought, how can we help education? And one of the ways we did was a number of years ago, I just nervously because uh, I was terrified of schools, called the school, and basically said, how can we help? That was about 10 years ago. Okay, um, it's slow, right? This stuff takes faithfulness and graft and courage. Okay? Yesterday, and I'm going to be fairly quick, I heard two stories. And Mark, Mark broke a rule. We normally have a rule in our place that you're not allowed to tell a story if it's more than a week old. 
but we'll forgive you because it was incredible. Um, <laughs> yesterday, I hear two stories. Well, no, actually, first thing was this. A school tried to contact me to, uh, to ask me for my spiritual advice over an issue that they were having, right? And that's simply because I've pitched up faithfully and probably led lots of their kids from their school with my teams to Jesus over the years. And now they're coming to the church. Do you know, Ephesians 1, at the end of Ephesians 1, in, sorry, I'm going to, in the message it says this, that the church is not on the periphery of the world, the world is on the periphery of the church. Mm. Trey's right, we have an identity problem. Mm. We really do. And the other story from yesterday was this, I, I heard a story of an eight-year-old girl who wrote a letter to her principal. This is a brilliant idea, I'm gonna get all the kids to do this. You should get your kids to do this too. They wrote, she wrote a letter to her, her principal and in the letter it simply said this, why at the end of assembly do you not ask the children if they want to open their hearts to Jesus? <laughs> okay. Um, th this gentleman is a, is a Baptist man and he'd never seen anything like this before so he called the, the eight-year-old girl into his office and he was deeply, deeply touched. Do you know yet yesterday's... Uh, John's speaking in, in, the, in the morning about encouragement. This guy was super encouraged by this eight-year-old. He tells her that for one reason or another, he can't do that. Um, but he did say, one day, I'll get you to do it. How cool is that? And so time and time again, we hear stories of kids leading their friends to Jesus. Can I tell another quick one yeah, just from yeah. last week? This yeah. is just last week too, within the rules. Um, <laughs> Again, uh, another, another thing that we have in our town is old folks' homes. Oh, well, no, they don't call them old folks' homes. Nursing homes. You're not allowed to call an old folk an old folk. <laughs> they don't like it. <laughs> okay. So we decided, that, and we want to create environments for our kids to experience the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. So we thought, let's visit a nursing home, or let's call a nursing home up first, find out if we can do it, and actually ask them what would they like us to do. So they, and we, we had a suggestion of maybe we could do a quiz, thinking that residents might like to do a quiz. And they said, yeah, that would be lovely. And, and you know, would it, would, can we bring children with us? And that's even better. You know, there's a big, big TV show at the minute about uh, bringing children to old, older folk. And so we did, and we put it out to about 25 parents to see if they wanted to bring their kids. <laughs> now this is the, never think that because of course the Coast Vineyard, we win all the time. Four kids turned up. Right, And it is small beginnings sometimes. Four kids showed up and some of us from the kids' team. And we did the quiz and there was quite a lot of dementia in the room. So it was interesting. Um, but these kids, the kids were sort of smarter than some of the older folk. And then we sang three songs. We sang, Jesus loves me, this I know. We sang another one. And then that song, oh, the overwhelming never. Do you know that one? Reckless Love, it's called Reckless Love. <laughs> Is it called Reckless Love? Yes, it's great, man. It's, that's what Thanks, very good. I'm not very good. your rendition of it was... was and out of the corner of my eye, as, as these kids are singing this song to the track, right, so it's not too bad, to the track, I, I see this lady at the door. This lady looks um, like she's just had the rough end of life on her, but she doesn't look like a resident and she doesn't look like a nurse. And so at the end, we finish the song and I say to the kids, guys, why don't you go on? talk to the folk. So the kids really bravely go and talk to the folk. This frail woman in her mid-50s, very small, um, yeah, looks undernourished, you know, just tough life. She comes up to me and she says, would you mind if I have a word with you? And I'm like, no, 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 what, what is it? And I had to bend down and I'm not overly tall. And she said, uh, my mother is upstairs she took a stroke six months ago and she's paralyzed. She can't move out of her bed and no one else in my family wants to know. They don't want to visit her and I feel this incredible weight and responsibility. And then she talked about how she'd had death in her family. Her sisters had died. And so I said to her, well, have you ever been to church? And she's like, no. And I'm like, do you know that Jesus loves you? And she said, no. And so we said, and at this point I grabbed one of the ladies from the team and she came over. And we just said, can we pray for you? And she, she just said, yes. So we prayed with her. And then afterwards, with these kids watching, we led this woman to Jesus. Do you know? And it, 
and it was because we, we made ourselves available. And I want kids to see that and I want this generation to know who they are, to know that the church is at the center of the world. Do you know what I mean? And for too long, guys, we have felt like we are the odd ones on the periphery. Mm. It's not true. Mm. We have the solution to the problems in our towns and cities. We just need to be a little bit more courageous. Mm. And my hope is that we see a generation raised up because it's much harder for us to, get, to find courage. Um, you know, this generation coming through will be a generation that doesn't struggle with the things that we struggle with. Mm. Yeah, Thanks, good, man. Yeah, I mean, um, begrudgingly, thank you, Dave. Begrudgingly, in my late 20s, I began to step out prophetically or praying for healing. And, you know, my daughter started to pray for people to be healed when she was six and seven. She's grown up with a heritage of it. Release your children for the destiny of the city. Release them into the city. I don't, I don't, that, that's, that sounds like, <laughs> open the cage. What I mean is, don't, don't, we, we spend so much time trying to protect our children from the world instead of realizing that our children have already within them the identity of Christ to rewrite the story of the world. Release them, release them. And this goes for all ages as well. We, I, I tell you, we, we've, uh, we, 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 what we call the, the, the older folks that we work, we call them next generation because it's the what's next time in life. And there are a generation of, I'm almost there myself, just so you'll know. There's a generation of older women and men who are right now waiting. And they, 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 we need to call them forth with their wisdom, with their experience, and with their anointing to rewrite the story of our cities. Because our story of our cities won't be rewritten by our hip, cool, skinny jean worship teams. It can be rewritten by a family of people of all ages and from all backgrounds who rewrite this Jesus story over all peoples from all backgrounds. That is who we are. That's what the people of Jesus do. Okay, we can applaud that later. We'll save it for the end. Okay, one more. This is my wife, um, Tori. Tori is the director of women's ministry at Causeway Coast, but more than that, she's a, an entrepreneur. She, uh, Tori, tell, just talk a little bit about Hope and Gloria and about putting something in the center of the city and about the shop, and, and, and you've got, you got to do it in like two minutes, and then we're going to pray for all these people in 30 seconds and and then we'll be out of time. All okay. I'm going to say is that uh, a few years ago, some women wanted to do something that was very much the Moses story. What do we have in our hands? There were a bunch of women at our church who wanted to do something to reach the women in our town. So we decided to put on um, an event. Actually, some women put on, just, it was kind of like a clothes swap event, you know, with a tea thing. And it, it, was, it was good. And then the following year, we did it and we just thought, that thing that was good, let's just pour everything into it and see what happens. And actually what happens is that with our effort that we put into it, we thought that it would be sort of this big. And instead what happened was the favor of God fell on it and it became kind of this big and it became this really big event that we did for about three years. Out of that event, a couple of the women who were at, who, who kind of, that event got in their bones. And it was the sort of thing that they thought, what if we could do this all the time? And so because that thing, that favor was so evident on that event, what happened was the women who had the dreams for that event decided to create a shop in town. And that shop was called Hope and Glory. It was just became, I mean, our, our town, because of the whole uh, crash, you know, the economic crash, we're, we're a town of mainly coffee shops and charity shops. But what we decided to do was to create maybe a kind of charity shop with a difference. And so they decided to do it sort of this kind of vintage way. Really, it was just trying to be creative in the midst of what was going on in our town. They, they put together a one-pound cafe uh, to provide a bit of dignity for people who couldn't even afford the coffee in the coffee shops. But at Hope and Glory, you get to drink out of china cups and, and that sort of thing. And it was just nice, right? And with... And then they had a hairdresser's, beauty salon, that sort of thing. What Hope and Gloria is in the town is a place in the center of town that means that people from all walks of life can come in into a beautiful place and dignity is oozing from it. So it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from, you will feel special in Hope and Gloria. And while you're there, you can also get prayed for. And while you're there, you can also, you know, Get the love of Jesus. Now, one of the most 
precious thing that's happened out of Hope and Gloria are the volunteers that have been fed by our by the leaders who are in there. So we have volunteers from places like Women's Aid, from places all over the town, people who come who want to be invested in and who want to give back to the city. So it's a beautiful place where we've been able to see people really growing in who they are and their unique design and destiny. And it has been a journey. There have been things about Hope and Gloria that have worked beautifully. There have been things in Hope and Gloria that haven't worked very well. But I will say this, we are trying to do something in the center of our city that is entrepreneurial, that is growing people in who they are and in who they're designed to be and we're asking the Lord to bless it. And I just feel that this is the sort of thing that really is so uh, available to be multiplied mm. anywhere. Mm. Um, it, it's not that complicated of an idea, and it's the sort of thing that I think could be done kind of anywhere, really. And, and yeah, I think for us, we just are so grateful that we've gotten to be a part of it, and we believe that there's more in the center of our, of our city in, in terms of business and, and entrepreneurship and growth. Oh, good. Yeah. All right, we're running out of time. I, I wish I had more time to tell Hope and Gloria stories. I mean, the time the, 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 real, the realtor was taking me around looking for property and told me, listen, there's a great place that's opened in town a couple years ago. That street was dead economically. This new shop opened, and it's brought the street back to life. It's a place called Hope and Gloria. Have you heard of it? And I was like, oh, I've heard of it, brother. Um, I just so, you know, you know, women getting their nails done in the middle of it, the person doing their nails just just absolutely reading their mail and, and bringing them into healing emotionally. I, 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 and, and you know, and it's just that, that's not the idea, it's just an idea, do you hear me? There's so many of them out there and what it's waiting for is women and men who say we're available and obedient. We may not be skilled, we may not be resourced, but we're available and we're obedient and we're here and we're alive and history is waiting to be written. History is waiting to be written. Let me wrap up with this. We've gotta create a culture in our city. We, 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 we spend a lot of time talking about the leadership culture we're creating, the leadership culture in our churches and the culture we create in our church. I wanna challenge you to say, what is the culture you're creating in your city? What is the culture you're creating in your city? In our dream, we run a thing called 10,000 hours where we, give 10, where we attempt to give 10,000 volunteer hours in the summer to our city as service. Our dream is that that will not be a Causeway Coast Vineyard thing in a few years. It will be a Coleraine thing. And this year, for the first time, people who don't go to our church and aren't even Christians joined in because they saw others doing it, and it's becoming the culture of our city that we give to our city. Here's my other dream. In our city, we have a very large, uh, we have a, 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 we've had quite a few um, immigrants, you know, a few Americans, can't get rid of them, and then loads of wonderful Polish families. In my future, it's not that those Polish families sort of Make, become that, that we force them into Coleraine culture. It's that together we create a new future. Where in my town you say things like wise up, but you also say a Polish word because we've so become a new family, a new culture together. Do you understand that? What are you dreaming of the culture you can create in your cities? What is God making available by who's showing up in your cities? What is the culture that you're going to create? Don't just create a culture in your church. Create a culture in your city. And let me leave you with this. What it takes for us, friends, is it takes courage, it takes faith, it takes calling, but most of all, it takes availability, obedience, and understanding of our identity in Christ. 159 years ago, there was a revival of Coleraine in 1859. One of the reasons I believe that we see some of the things that we do now is because 159 years ago, some people were available and obedient, and we are living in the blessing that they left, the deposit of blessing they left. And here's the question that I ask every day. In 159 years, will they tell the story of 2017, 2016, where there was a big church, they had real good music, that was a flash in the pan and burned out? Or will we set something in place in our city that will rewrite the story so that 159 years from now, the people of Jesus will still be able to walk in the grace that fell because we were available and obedient and we love not our lives unto death and we wrote a new story of destiny over our cities because Jesus is in love with the city and he's in love with the nation and he's in love with all the people of the city and he's waiting for available women and men to say, here am I, let's do this. Let me pray for you. Stand together. We're gonna, we're gonna pray quickly. It's time to go. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming. I just wanna pray for you. Just let's put our hands out together. I, I feel your love. Put your hands out together. I wanna pray. Here's what I pray for you. I wanna pray for an impartation of destiny for cities.
Okay, if that's you, just put your hands up right now if you want it, okay? All right, Jesus, in this room are your friends. <laughs> there are daughters and sons in this room. Jesus, let the, the revelation of their identity as disciples of nations come in a new sense right now into their hearts and lives. We pray a release of that in the name of Jesus. I pray for a new filling of the Holy Spirit. I pray for courage. I pray for perseverance, for the grit that says when we don't see it, we still look for you, Jesus. For the hope that rises from the dust time and time again because there is a treasure buried in the city and we want, will sell our lives to see the city treasure realized. And so we pray for release over every village and every town and every city in this room. For every church that's located in any of those places, we pray not that you'd fill those churches with people, but that you'd fill those cities with hope, that you'd fill lives with destiny, and that you would rewrite a new story of hope over each and every town, village, hamlet, city, nation that's represented in this room in the name of Jesus. And we say, your kingdom come, your will be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And together we say, amen. God bless you guys.